Hey, everybody. Tom and Keith, thanks for uh, tuning into the podcast. Spread the word if you haven't uh, already done so, and uh, we appreciate it. And I would also appreciate the uh, fine folks at the Dunlap Champions Club, KJ. They uh, have very much stepped up. That allows us to present this, uh, shall we say, commercial-free is that the proper way of saying it? I think it is. It Without is. commercial interruption. There you go. Uh, hopefully you test drove the uh, the premium club seats that are the, the Champions Club during the spring game. Maybe you went to Doke after dark. Maybe you've been to some of the uh, the pillar events. They just had Dalvin Cook honored. They're going to have one for Coach Bowden coming up. Uh, I do need to point out they've got half-season tickets on sale for this coming year. So uh, for that, you get Miami or Louisville and then any two of the remaining four home games. Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. And it, again, if you need a private tour, if you just want to go up there and look around, call Seminole Boosters. Uh, I'm sure Jerry and his crew will make sure that they get somebody out there to show you around. You will be impressed if you've never set foot in that structure. Should point out the half-season uh, tickets uh, are 750 that's what makes it a good deal there if you want to test drive it you can visit seminoles.com backslash tickets or call 583-9066 line one to buy your tickets and schedule that private tour now without further ado drum roll please this week's front row broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is the front row with tom block and keith jones brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu here's tom and keith Hello, everybody, and welcome to the front row. We have reached, we have reached, 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 reached the midpoint of a holiday Easy week. Easy for you to say. Feels like a holiday week, and through the magic of this invention called the telephone, and more specifically the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, we say hello to one Keith Jones, who apparently couldn't stand uh, the thought of uh, being next to me in the studio, so he just stayed at the beach this week. KJ, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been three or four or five weeks in a row, Tom. What do you expect of me? I know. Well, now we're into the summer season, which means vacations will get incorporated and the schedule will get a little wonky again. But it'll be all right. We have uh, plenty to talk about. Uh, uh, We won't talk about your beach escapades, but the Florida State baseball team is obviously where we'll start the conversation today, Keith. And nobody... And I mean nobody. You could have. There, there's nobody that would have taken a bet in Vegas if it was on the board to say that Florida State was going to win an ACC baseball championship. I don't care how passionate you are about Florida State. Nobody picked them to go six and zero on that road track to Louisville. So as you have digested it, 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 it would. It, yeah, it 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 was uh, unfathomable. You're, I mean, you're exactly right. The odds would have been off of the chart if they'd have given them to you at all. And you know. All of us that are, you know, diehard Seminole fans were thinking, you know, well, what if, what if, what if? And even we had given up on the what ifs because there was no way it was going to happen. And uh, one of the most uh, phenomenal six or eight days in Florida State's baseball program, probably in the history of the program. We will talk more about what it means going forward and specifically the opponents and the opposition that's coming to town for the regional this weekend a little bit later in the program with uh, one of the gentlemen who's going to broadcast the games for ESPN this weekend. But I want to go bigger picture, not just on how they did it, Keith, because I think that's that's been pretty well dissected at this point. I mean, they were injured early in the year. They got some bodies back. They got healthy again. They finally got some quality pitching. Uh, you put all those things together and you, you get a result that looks like what they've had the last uh, couple of weeks or so. But going beyond that, I find it eerily similar to the way last year's football season unfolded in that the first half of the season you had a lot of key guys injured 
and frankly, the team wasn't very good. I'm oversimplifying, but then you got guys back, and the team wound up finishing pretty strong, and that feels like what baseball is doing right now. Obviously, we don't know how they're going to finish. What's your thoughts on that comparison or maybe another one from the Florida State Annals? Well, I, I think it's a very good comparison, but I think you're selling it a little bit short. I, I think if you go back and think about all that we were thinking in August of 2016, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, from the football perspective, we expected that team to, to roll everybody and, and end up being in the Final Four and potentially playing for a national championship. Five weeks into the season, you're sitting at 3-2 and two with Miami coming up. All right, fast forward to about a week and a half ago. The Florida State baseball team, you're wondering if they can get past, what, 35 victories? Certainly 40 victories are out of the question. That streak goes away. 11 had virtually admitted that there's no way you're hosting a regional, and you're on the bubble along with Miami of being talked about maybe you don't even make the postseason. So I think it's not a stretch at all to think that going to Louisville to play three games of baseball, which ended up being two, I, is no no smaller or no lesser a feat than Florida State traveling down to Miami to play Miami in football in 2016 and coming away with a victory and seeing what that led to, that potentially those two wins over Louisville and what they did in the ACC tournament might lead to relative to baseball. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of similarities there. I mean, this baseball team was picked preseason top five and then uh, actually ascended to number one before falling off the map. So definitely some similarities. What about in terms of just Florida State teams that did the improbable, whether it was one game or particularly over a one or two week stretch like this baseball team has thus done this far? I don't know uh, what would come to mind on that front? I, well, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'll, I'm a, I'll cheat. I'll cheat. Okay. And, and say what comes to mind is uh, Nebraska and Pitt football in 1980. Well, Improbable because you, you had lost to Miami the, the week before. Improbable that you would beat both Nebraska at Nebraska and Pitt with Dan Marino at home. So that, that might be a two-week period that you would look at and stay as similar. I'm trying to think if there's anything. I guess basketball, you'd have to go all the way back to 72 when you beat Kentucky and North Carolina before you play UCLA in the final and lose. Oh, that was over about a, a week period, maybe a, a six-day period as opposed to a two-week period. But certainly it's, it's an all-time comparison when you look at Florida State baseball and, and comparing that to all-time well, I'll you take, know, one or two week things going on in football or basketball. I'll, I'll tell you what's interesting. You went back to seventy two. I would go back to earlier this year on the basketball court where the team went five and one against six straight raked opponents. I mean, who in the a world good thought? Catch. Who, a good catch. who in the world thought that was going to happen? It's just uh, it's been a remarkable run. We'll have to see how it plays out from here. Uh, at least they have righted the ship to the point that they've got they're they're competing the way we expected them to compete. Now, if I guaranteed you that Drew Parrish and, and Cole Sands would pitch this week and going forward like they did last week, I think we'd all like their chances to get to Omaha. But I, I still feel like given the body of work, nobody's going to feel 100% confident when either one of them is on the hill that, that we're going to get the same effort that we saw the last few weeks. I hope I'm wrong on that. Well, you, I mean, you just don't know because you, you don't have enough body of work in the positive. You've got enough body of work making you doubt uh, with the exception of Holden as it relates to the starting pitching. So uh, obviously a skeptic and, and even a, 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 
a normally minded person would have reservations. But uh, stranger things have happened in sport. And uh, you reminded uh, some folks reminded us that Virginia a couple of years ago was in a similar position as Florida State uh, in the year maybe two two years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, and they made their run in the College World Series. And, and what about Coastal Carolina, who wins it all last year and is not even in the tournament this year? I'm going to get so back. Yeah, it's I, obviously a, a very interesting time in college baseball. There's no question. Let's turn the conversation that direction after I point out, uh, folks, that uh, we need to say, uh, remind you that uh, Centrale Italian Parlor down on Madison Street is making lunch great again with 11 items for 11 bucks. They just had the uh, Slice of Tallahassee Pizza Festival. They just celebrated National Wine Day. I think National Cheese Day is coming up. If there's some sort of a day, there's a promotion going on. Head on out to Centrale Italian Parlor. By the way, side note, I went uh, not to Centrale, but to Madison Social over the weekend. Uh, before watching LSU eliminate the Florida State softball team, which has played well for my wife, but has not played well for me on the home front. And I absolutely feel sick for the Seminole softball team, Keith, because they had a year for the ages and yet they're not going to the ultimate goal, which is Oklahoma City on the women's side. And here you have the baseball team, which if you look at the full body of work, it's ended up looking pretty decent now in terms of RPI. But there were an awful lot of uh, – they weren't just speed bumps. I mean, they were full-on crashes when you lose 17 zip to Virginia Tech. And yet hope springs eternal, and here they are still with a chance to get to the ultimate goal in Omaha. It can, it can, the, this sport, they play on a dime in any sport, really. They can be cruel. Well, the, the diamond sport in particular, whether it's sixty foot bases or ninety foot bases, you know it can turn on you. I'm, I'm like you, uh, Kathy, and I both sat up and watched uh, both of the uh, game two and game three of the LSU Florida State series in, in softball. And uh, first of all, hats off to LSU; uh, they deserved to win. Uh, Florida State did make a couple of errors on the bases in game number two, but uh, uh, had had Jess at the plate in the sixth, uh, had a runner on in the seventh. Uh, you know, it was right there. Uh, it just wasn't meant to be, and I think it goes back to, and I think you're entirely correct, that the diamond, whether it's 60 feet or 90 feet basis, uh, can sometimes be very, very cruel. Well, here we get to where Florida State sits on the baseball front. So Miami did not make the field, and this goes to your point about Coastal Carolina missing the field. As I was watching the unveiling on Monday, you know, North Carolina is the number two national seed, and they make the comment back in the tournament after missing for two years. And then here's Stanford, who's hot to finish the year, but they missed the tournament. Miami's out after a 45-year run. The defending champs from last year aren't in. And you start adding it up, and you get back to this whole consistency thing for Mike Martin in Florida State. And it leads to the age-old question, and I saw it on Twitter as I tweeted about it. Uh, you know, you've got this consistency mark. He's one win away from getting to 40 victories again. And immediately I get a response that he consistently doesn't win the championship in Omaha. So you have this division, but it's remarkable to me that this was a team that we thought wasn't going to make the tournament. We, we've we had conversations about, is it going to take him next year and into the year after that to get the all-time wins record? Well, as we as we talk right now, FSU's sitting on 39 wins this year. He needs exactly 39 more wins to pass Augie Garrido. And obviously, if they win three this weekend or if they win five or seven more this year, that number's a lot more manageable going into uh, 2018 in terms of becoming the all-time winningest coach in college baseball history. Well, I'll simply say this. Uh, being a, a product of the consistency part in that I, I began playing football at Florida State in Coach Bowden's uh, second season. And you look at the consistency of what the football program has done, the way Jimbo has taken it over, 
and you look at the baseball program and what Eleven has done and, and the decades that he's now been at the helm, I will concede that there's disappointment that a national championship has not been won. But but Eleven's been there 15 times. And Florida State's been in the postseason now more consecutive times than anyone since Miami didn't make it this year. And I'm one of the guys, Tommy, call me old-fashioned, call me crazy. I'll take consistency over the immeasurable up and down. And I'll just remind our listeners, you correct me, you're the baseball guy. The number one seed in the tournament this year didn't make the tournament last year if my information and memory is correct. I, I don't recall offhand about Oregon State, but, you know, Oregon State has the, the deal of winning two championships in a row about a decade ago. And so that's, you know, it's forever the rub. I, I Obviously, in a perfect scenario, you'd want consistency and championships all rolled in. And, uh, you know, Jimbo has done that. But uh, there's even folks that, that question Florida State after two consecutive uh, three-loss seasons or question Jimbo. So you're never going to please all the masses. But, uh, you know, for him to be one win away from 40 again is, is pretty remarkable. And for FSU to have the longest postseason streak in baseball and football at present, that speaks to what's going on on, on the Florida State campus. Keith, hang with us. Uh, go get another umbrella for that drink as you uh, watch the sunset at uh, Cape Sandblast. And we'll, we'll dial Tim Linnefeld up and we'll talk to our Seminoles.com insider about this when the front row rolls on right after this. Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the Front Row. If you're in the Cape Sandblast area, that's Keith's house that's blasting this song from the boombox out on the back deck all Memorial Day week here is uh, we return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Is that a true statement, Keith? Uh, it's reasonably true. Uh, fortunately, there's not a lot of folks out right this second, uh, so not a, lot to, not a lot of people walking up and paying attention to anything. All righty. Well, uh, we're going to dial up uh, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, uh, who is also on the line. Tim, Keith and I, in the first segment, were discussing that uh, the the game they play on the diamond can be a cruel sport. And I saw you late last week, and I specifically asked you, I said, so are you going to go to the, the College World Series in Oklahoma City with the women's softball team, or are you going to go to the baseball regionals on the road? And lo and behold, here we sit, and softball's done, and baseball's not going anywhere. And, uh, I, you know, as happy as I am for baseball, I'm, I'm that sad for, for Lonnie Alameda and her softball team. Yeah, baseball just took all the good mojo, didn't they? They didn't uh, didn't leave anybody left for the softball. I mean, left for the softball team. That's about all I can think of. Uh, you know, like I think you or somebody else said two weeks ago, if you'd said that softball would miss the, the women's college world series and baseball would be home for a regional, they'd have looked at you like you were from Mars. But uh, but you know, perhaps more than any of the other sports, uh, the the baseball and, and softball, the, the way those things play out, and some of the the sheer randomness of it, uh, it can be. It can be great when it works out in your favor, uh, and it can be really, really painful when it doesn't, which is what we saw uh, in softball over the weekend. You know, what I thought, you know, what Lonnie Alameda, Lonnie Alameda said, it really rang true to me was that, you know, you, you prepare 
as best as you can, and you put yourself in the, the proper situation as much as you can, and you, you hope for the best. And more often than not, if you do all the right things as they do, it'll work out for you. But sometimes it just doesn't, and that was the case in back-to-back games uh, for the softball team over the weekend. Really hard to believe. Uh, I don't know if they could have done a whole lot more to maximize that potential. It just, it just didn't work out for them. Yeah, and I don't want to, just to finish up the softball thought, I don't want to get into second-guessing or playing that game. I didn't see enough of the softball team. I know she changed her lineup for Sunday, but, you know, I was at the Saturday and Sunday games. And for those who didn't watch, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think I have the at least the score right. It was it was it had been 2 nothing LSU, the Knowles cut it to 2-1, and in the next inning the bases are loaded with two outs for LSU, and there's a screamer hit to third that Jesse Warren smothers. And if she can just get the ball to stick in her glove, she can put her foot on the base and the inning's going to be over. But she doesn't do that, so a run scores. And then the next batter gets a two-run single and extends it to 5-1. to one. And that literally, and I'm not blaming Jesse at all, would have been a tremendous play. That's literally how closely matched those teams were. Sure. Well, then, you know, let's take it a step further and, and not to pick on Jesse, who is a fantastic player and an All-American and, and probably going to be one of the best players in college softball again next year. Uh, but you, know, you mentioned the, the lineup changes and all that kind of stuff. Look, you know, Florida State uh, at, in the sixth inning was down by two runs, had the bases loaded, no outs, and Jess Warren at the plate, who had 23 home runs, which uh, she either led the, the country in home runs most of the year or, or was second, whatever it was. She's one of the best home run hitters in the country. Uh, and that goes back to what we were just saying about how you, you can't ask for a better situation than that. I mean, that's literally it. And, you know, everybody in the in the stadium that day, myself included, you know, had one of the, the feels of one of those weird games where, one team is currently winning and the other team is losing, but it feels like those roles are reversed and it's just inevitable uh, that it's going to change at some point. Well, it never did. <laughs> and, and, and as a result, you know, the LSU got out of that inning only allowing one run uh, and Florida State was never, never able to get any closer. Again, you can't ask for a better situation. Uh, sometimes the, you know, the, the bat just doesn't hit the ball the way it's supposed to. Yeah, so the bad news is now my wife gets to fly the LSU flag, right? And she gets to wave the banner in my face around the home front. And I don't know if you guys uh, looked at the bracket and extended it out on the baseball side, but if FSU and LSU both advance to Omaha, where the Block family will be, guess who plays each other in the first game of the College World Series? <laughs> well, you know, I was just saw, I was relieved for you that, that uh, Tallahassee wasn't paired up with Baton Rouge and the Super Eagles. I don't know if this is better or worse. Well, in that you don't have any luck, is what you're saying, Mr. Block. Well, in the scenario of a super regional meeting, at least we would have been guaranteed one of the teams would have been in Omaha. Now we're still kind of, you know, there's no guarantee, but uh, if we get the cake and eat it too, they'll be they'll be squaring off head to head. But enough enough about the Block family. We'll see how that works out. Tim, what do you see as the key for Florida State on the baseball diamond this weekend? Well, you know, they're going to have to win a couple of different types of games, I suspect. And so I think versatility, which they've been able to show over the last couple of weeks, uh, be able to win a high-scoring, heavy-hitting game and also be able to win a low-scoring game because they could be in for a couple uh, of those. Tennessee Tech, uh, believe it or not, leads the country in home runs hit. Uh, they surpassed Wake Forest uh, fairly recently, I guess. So they, they lead the country in home runs. They're pushing up near 100 in total home runs hit, which is still hard to believe. Uh, in college baseball, and then UCF, which is also here, uh, they are top five in the country in team ERA. So you've got a team that can really match, and you've got a team that can really pitch. You're going to have to contend with both of them, I suspect, uh, if you're going to make it out of the regional. Well, plus you've got to deal with Auburn, uh, who you've played, what, 14 or 15 times and had some pretty good success. But but just two weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, if Florida State snuck into the tournament, they'd probably be playing the regional at Auburn, and, and here the, the, the Tigers are having to travel with Tallahassee. 
That's a good point, Keith. You know, it wasn't all that long ago that Auburn seemed like they were in line potentially to even be a national seed. And you're right, uh, Florida State seemed to uh, project to, to go to Auburn in a lot of those scenarios. So they struggled a bit as of late, but still enough to make the tournament. And, you know, the thing that makes you nervous when you're a coach is even if a team is struggling, whenever they're struggling after a prolonged period of success, which Auburn had, you always get nervous. Oh, you know, they're going to get it together and get right just in time to come to Tallahassee. Uh, so that makes you nervous, too. So, yeah, look, I mean, it's great for Florida State, the, the run that they're on, uh, winning the ACC, winning those games at Louisville before the tournament started. It's fantastic, but uh, I think it's a pretty challenging region that they're in as well. There's some really good teams, and like we said, teams that do some specific things really, really well. So uh, I think Florida State's going to have to win maybe a, a variety of types of games that they're going to get out of it. Well, and you would think they would have to stay uh... – in the winners bracket, although they did they did just win four games at the ACC tournament. But if if you know if you stay on the winning side, you only have to win three to get through a regional. If you lose, you're going to have to come up with uh, you're going to have to play five games uh, potentially, depending on when you lose. You know, on the Auburn side, it occurs to me, and, and FSU is not paired with Florida this year in the super regionals. But Auburn has got to be sitting there every time they're in the NCAA postseason and think, well, here we go again. They're shipping us to Tallahassee because it happens every time they're in the postseason. And then the, the go ahead. I say it certainly seems between them or, or Alabama. I think one of them is just about guaranteed to be here every year. Yeah, and then here's the ominous uh, thing uh, that hopefully is not foreshadowing, but I saw it last week, like three days after David Ross finished up on uh, Dancing with the Stars. Uh, he had retweeted something. It comes across my feed, and it's the 20-year – last week was the 20-year anniversary of when he hit the walk-off home run for Auburn in the regional here. That wasn't uh, the, ultimately the game that won the regional, but it basically won the regional for him, and I thought, oh. And then I see Auburn's coming here again, and I'm thinking, oh, we don't need another David Ross on this year's team. So, some, Whatever we do, if David's in town, keep him away from the stadium. He, he has to stay away. Well, it tells me that I need to put the futures out 20 years from now. There's going to be a potential Auburn player that wins dancing with the Stars or at least makes the finals. Maybe. Maybe. More more uh, scary, I think, about Auburn is that, you know, they they dipped the last third of the season, but a couple of their pitchers, uh, Casey Mize in particular, I think had a sore arm for a little bit. And you look at his numbers, they're going to pitch him Saturday, game two, and he's 7-2 and two with a one nine three ERA. So if I'm Florida State, I'm hoping like heck that uh, you win over Tennessee Tech and that UCF beats Auburn so that Casey Mize is pitching an elimination game against Tennessee Tech. That's the way I dial that one up. Uh, now that would, uh, I think, be the ideal scenario. Who would you throw on Friday night, Tom? Well, as we record this, to be clear, folks, uh, the, the rotation has not been announced. I think, based on what Mike Martin has done historically, that Tyler Holton will pitch game two. Now, as to who would pitch game one, you could argue Sands or Parrish. Uh, you know, I, I guess they'll they'll probably have to look at the matchups and maybe deliberate based on rest since Parrish came back and pitched Sunday. I, part of me would be more inclined to pitch Parrish, actually, and then go Holton and then have Sands on Sunday. What about you? I, that's a good question. I Given Tennessee Tech's lineup, again, the, those, those guys can really hit. Now, you, you can talk probably some of that up to the level of competition and uh, some of the opposing pitchers that they face, but my worry would be if you know they were to get a hold of one or two balls early in the game uh, and, uh, and and get a couple of home runs, and then you know even, even if there are a couple of men on base for those home runs, and you get in a hole early, uh, then what do you do? Uh, to me, I, I probably would, would want to go with the fans, uh, especially given that he pitched so well uh, in the ACC tournament. Uh, like you mentioned, look, you, you don't want to mess around. Uh, winning game one of the regional is, is such an important thing, and. 
you know, Florida State's on a, a tremendous swing right now, but I don't know that, that now is the time to outthink yourself either. Uh, I think you need to do everything you can to, to win that game, first game and then throw Tyler Holton in the second game. And then if you win those two, uh, I think you're probably pretty comfortable patching things together for the, the rest of the way because whoever is left is going to be a such a disadvantage. Well, I'll tell you what I do, fellas, and I have not looked at it. Maybe one of you has or can look at it very quickly, but I go by the book. I look at, at what the lineup for uh, Tennessee Tech looks like, and if there are a bunch of left-handers, I throw a left-hander. If there's a bunch of right-handers, I throw a right-hander, even if it's not either of those two. And I just play the odds. Because well, right now, the odds are in your favor. You seem to be on a roll. You know, I go with what the, the baseball gods tell me. Yeah, and that's sort of what Mike Martin said on Monday they would do, is they got to look at the lineups and break it down. And so by the time this show airs, uh, this decision will have been made. Uh, if you look historically, there's a lot of years where – Mike Martin has taken his Friday night pitcher and held him to Saturday, and there's been some second guessing. And generally speaking, it uh, it almost always works out. And the way you, the way he couches it, and it's a good point, is that hey, if we've got one game and we have to win, we've got our ace on the mound on Saturday. In other words, if you lose Friday, you've still got your ace on Saturday. Um, that said, if you look at this year, Holton has been their Saturday pitcher anyway, so it's really not changing anything. If you go Sands, then Holton, and then Drew Parrish. The uh, the offense. Let's let's switch gear. Well, actually, let, let's do this because nobody ever talks about the defense. And I know Drew, Drew Mendoza had a couple of errors and then made up for it. But I think it's been a little overlooked that this club has actually played pretty good defense here through the month of May. Uh, I think they're field nine seventy one for the year right now, and for much of the year they were probably in the mid nine sixties. And nine seventy one is probably around you know one of the top two or three fielding teams i'd say out of the last 10 or 12 years for fsu so uh and you look at the tournament tim and jc flowers makes that catch Stephen wells throws a guy out at the plate dylan busby is playing better defensively at third they have grown up and matured on the defensive side absolutely and when you know you want to talk about the way pitchers have improved and, and they certainly have especially uh you've seen Cole stands get better and then the defense behind them is a big part of that one uh the obvious setting or the obvious part of it is just, you know when you you don't like guys on base via errors, uh, they're less likely to come around and score. Uh, but also, I think in terms of a, a confidence factor and knowing that a, a pitcher can can pitch the contact if he needs to, and know that he has confidence in, in his guys that they're going to be able to make the play. Uh, it just sort of, I don't know. I think I just sort of it lifts everybody up to know that and see those plays uh, be made. And I mean, is there anything more deflating uh, than than letting a guy reach on an error and then let him come around the floor? I think that just that's such a trickle down effect in such a negative way. Uh, so to me, it all works sort of in concert. You know, we've seen Florida State's pitchers, in my mind, get better over the last couple of weeks, but it absolutely coincides with the defense. And, and you know, look, what, what have we talked about over the last, I don't know, month, few months when, when things weren't going so well? And we always say that, you know, the, like a broken record, the pieces were there. Uh, if they ever, you know, got their act together and came together at the right time, it's a team that can make some noise. And, and I don't know, maybe it's still a little too early to say that they're, that they're peaking at the right time, but, but gosh, uh, maybe not given the wins that they had and, and the way that they played up there in Louisville. Now, I, I, maybe they should to play that regional in Louisville, uh, just in case. But uh, but otherwise, I mean, it's, it's it's not too big. Of, I guess I was saying it's not too big of a surprise to think that they're playing as well as they are, based on what we knew they had at the beginning of the season. It just for one reason or another, it took them this long to to figure it out. Two things. Two things come out to my mind. Uh, they're what uh, eighteen and five over the last twenty three games. Yep. Yeah. And the, exactly. combined, Twelve and two in the month of May. And the combined ERA in the tournament four games was under three combined. Right, yeah. You, no, they're you can, wait. you can you can go deep into the postseason with those kinds of streaks, you know, on, in your favor. 
Yeah, and now it's just a matter of carrying that over. You get good starts uh, from Parrish and Sands. Can they do it back-to-back? Because that's what the, that's the consistency you need. Tim, before we let you go, uh, on, on the men's golf front, Trey Jones' team, their season came to an end. They did get into the, the final round of stroke play, which means they made the top 15. They finished tied for 14th overall. Uh, is that where they uh, – obviously they hoped that they'd be in there in the, in the finals, but is that a reasonable uh, expectation or outcome based on what, what kind of product they had this year? I think so. I, you know, I don't think anybody there, given the the standard that they set over the, the last few years, uh, I think they they want to aim higher than that on a consistent basis. But given some of the guys who have come through the program and since moved on over the last couple of years, uh, I think they're they're kind of just sort of moving back toward that. I, I guess I guess rebuilding is the worst term they use for. So I think uh, in this year they probably have bigger expectations ahead, and for them to finish still in the the upper tier uh, of their sport, I think they're they're you know I think probably not too terribly disappointed with it, but also not satisfied knowing what the program is showing itself capable of uh, in the not so distant past. Makes sense, Tim. Good stuff as always. Uh, enjoy not traveling this weekend and being at home for uh, Florida State's baseball regional. Hey, we'll see you there. All right, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Keith Jones, uh, it's, well, this could be a, a long hour if I keep telling you to refresh your cocktail, but you do have a couple minutes to do so before we continue on the front row right after this. <laughs> The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the Front Row, I'm having to hold down two seats today since Keith Jones uh, didn't want to come all the way back here and sit by my side he'd rather stay Are you in the, the short chair, chair or the tall chair i'm in both you know i've been switching each segment ah well played yeah exactly uh keith jones uh enjoying some time with the family at the beach as many are this time of year uh let, let's let's we can get back to baseball in a little bit and i'll, I'll remind our listeners that uh, uh or i'll inform our listeners that todd walker is going to join us next segment he is a former major leaguer former lsu baseball star actually i did not recruit him because the lsu connection uh, in case you're wondering but because he will be doing the uh color commentary for espn on the, the fsu regional this weekend and, and he's a good guy to talk to about sort of the state of college baseball obviously he played a long time in the big so i look forward to that conversation next segment so baseball on hold for now keith you and i have not discussed on this show i don't think that uh the Kick times for two of Florida State's uh, first three games have been set. Alabama and Miami will both be at 8 o'clock. I don't think – I certainly wasn't surprised by that. Uh, I would have been shocked, quite frankly, if the Alabama game was not a night game. Well, we've been told it would be 7.45 if it was on Espen and it would be 8 o'clock on ABC, I think was the early things a couple of three months ago. So, yeah, that was correct. But I'm glad to see the Miami kick at 8. And, you know, I, I, I played in the era where we had all night games and uh, our fans are scrambling in the early part of the season because of the heat, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to have that sun going down. I, I think it's going to make for a remarkable uh, kick in, uh, in, in Campbell Stadium, Dope Campbell Stadium, when the Hurricanes come to town. Alabama first, one in between, but it makes that Miami game uh, absolute, absolute must-see TV. 
uh, for the nation. Well, and the one in between is Louisiana Monroe, and kick time for that will be set before the season, probably in the next couple of weeks or so. We'll know that. They set the first three weeks in advance, so that kickoff time is coming. It's interesting thinking about it, Keith. You're talking about how you played night games, and I hear a lot of folks discuss seminal Saturday nights and that sort of thing. You know, then we got to the early 90s and, and the wide right era, and all the top games in college football were played at high noon. Then TV ratings came into play, and they started pushing all these games to the end of the day. We play at 8. But then you look back last year, and they started filling out the whole Saturday again. For example, Florida State and Louisville was a a college game day game, and it was a 12 noon kick. So they're sort of figuring out that you can put a key game at any time on the map or on the calendar, so to speak, and folks are going to find it and tune in, and it'll do a nice TV number. Uh, I agree, and and, and I would tell you that if I am – having to play away, Florida State playing away, I love that noon kickoff away. But if I'm having to play at home, I love playing in the nighttime in Doak Campbell Stadium. Well, I think most of the fans would certainly take the night game. Uh, Players in general, they get more free time if the game is over earlier. So, uh, you know, Sunday goes by pretty quickly after you check in with the trainer. That's your free time for the week. So if you have a noon game, you kind of get time on Saturday night to go out with your girlfriend or your family or whatever. I suppose that would be an argument in in favor of the players. Speaking of in favor of the players, Keith, we we talked a lot about this redshirt rule, uh, which seems like it would benefit all parties involved. Uh, we talked about moving the signing date up, which nobody seems quite happy with where it landed. In other words, if you really want to help out everybody involved there, it probably needs to go to August. But there's a lot of talk this week in light of the SEC meetings about the grad transfer rule, and Florida may be the beneficiary this time around with a Notre Dame quarterback like FSU was a couple years ago. But let's talk about that rule as a whole. You know, it, it, it's been out for a few years, and Russell Wilson might be the highest profile guy that went from NC State to Wisconsin and had great success there in terms of guys that have have changed schools. But there was some resistance at first. Now it feels like that's pretty accepted. Uh, are you okay with the grad transfer rule? Uh, I, I would not have voted for it. It would not have been my idea. Uh, but now that it's out there, uh, I, I believe a couple of things. It all has to do with your commitment. When I, when I commit to play at University X, I'm committing to play there for four years. If I get redshirted, it might be five, however that redshirt goes. If I fulfill my commitment and do my four years and I graduate and I still have a year or two of eligibility, I should be free to go anywhere I want, anytime I want, once I've graduated. That's my position. If you're going to have the graduate transfer rule, there should be no restriction. Now, if I'm on, on scholarship, and I'm in year two or three or four, then, yeah, I think there should be some restriction. But I'm also one of these guys, and you and I, I don't recall ever having this personal conversation with Jimbo, but I'm also one of these guys that thinks if I sign a letter of intent and my coach leaves in that first year, my freshman year, I should be free to leave as well. So I'm, I'm kind of pro-player early, pro-university in the middle, and pro player on the end as it relates to freedom to transfer. Well, I would agree 100%. And we talked about this in passing that you have signing day come and go. And then the very next day or within the next week, the coaches or the schools announce all these changes, assistant coaches that were let go and that sort of thing, and which is disingenuous, but that's the way the system is. So I would concur that uh, at the very least in your first year, if the coach goes, you should have that option. Uh, 
you're not on board during because you see it as a four-year commitment, and I get that, although the irony is that the scholarships for years and years before the last couple of years were not four-year commitments. They were they were one-year renewable. Now, coaches would have shot themselves in the foot if they, if they ran a bunch of guys off after year one, but I, I just think there's too much power there for the coaches, and the reason they don't want to open up – the ability for anybody to transfer at any time is because a you'd always be recruiting and b other schools would come in and be looking at your depth chart and saying well this guy's not really playing let's get him over here so there'd be that that's the reason they don't want to go down that road but i do think there is room to give some ground and give the players uh, a little bit more leverage or freedom here most definitely once they've graduated they should be free to go something needs to be worked out early in their their eligibility but I'm I'm with you. It'd be mass chaos if you did something in year two, three, and four that uh, freed up their ability for the kids to be making decisions. But you're not okay with if the coach leaves after your junior year because you've already been at a place for three years. So be correct. It. Correct. Okay. Well, I mean, nobody. There's there's got to be some consistency somewhere, and and uh, that's just where I draw the line. There may be people out there that are smarter than I that have spent more time thinking it through that could potentially sway me but uh if i had to vote on that test today that's how i'd answer those test questions you know what's interesting is we're in the middle of college baseball season there's sort of more avenues there for a college baseball player now part of it it's not a full scholarship sport but if you don't play a lot as a freshman a the coach may not may offer you no scholarship dollars the next year but you have an out in that you can go to a junior college and get some at bats get re-recruited in the same way that you can get drafted multiple times so well we can fix that tommy Instead of it being uh, 13 or 14 scholarships, let's make it 25 or 27 so that everybody that's on the baseball team, with the exception of your bullpen catchers, are on full scholarship. Then we'll start talking. Well, I'm on board with doing that. I mean, I think as we grow college baseball, it's got all this television coverage. We're going right into the sweet spot with regionals and super regionals in the College World Series. Those who would argue against it are going to be your smaller programs that don't, A, don't have the dollars to fund that, and B, you get into Title IX gender equity that if you add 13 more scholarships to baseball, or I guess it'd be closer to 14 and a half or 15 if you're going to go to 27, uh, then you've got to add that many women's sports scholarships, which may mean adding another sport. Your point? So you're, you're, you're just saying, go ahead and do it. I have no problem with that. I mean, the, the, the dollars are there. Uh, you know, let's 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 give the money to the kids in forms of a of a, a greater number of kids getting scholarships, and let's make college available. Well, what I'm saying, I mean, Florida State would be one, and the Power Five schools would be one that could fund that. I would assume, uh, Coastal Carolina, the current defending champs in college baseball, and I don't know their situation. I'm so this is a guess guess on my part. They might not be able to fully fund uh, scholarships across the board in baseball. So, in in effect, you'd sort of be creating or you would create different tiers just like we've had fbs and fcs at the football level and and if that's what the sport can demand and that's what the public is willing to support then i think that's what we should do i just don't know that there'd be enough of a consensus because you're gonna have more teams that can't afford to do it than can but it's 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 just like talking about the divide at the football level you know are we going to get to a point where we just have the four 16 team conferences and we cut everybody else off. How in the world are you going to get there without there being uh, lawsuits and antitrust conversations and all that sort of thing? 
That's for the people smarter than us. We're the talking heads, remember? I'm glad you at least admitted that. I thought you were going to try and explain that one away, too. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I'm glad you just put that one out there. All right, Keith. Not at all. Keith, I will, um, I will go ahead and dismiss you for the remainder of the program at this point. So now you can refresh that cocktail. Is the umbrella pink or blue that's in that drink, by the way? It is blue. Uh, Kathy's is pink, and uh, we are going to retire to the deck and take a look at the, the Gulf with the setting, uh, setting sunset. Uh, very blessed, very uh, very fortunate to be where we are, and uh, thanks to our listeners for putting up with me uh, via long distance, and thanks to you for sitting in both chairs. The real question is how many grandkids are with you right now? Uh, we had uh, we had three over the weekend. We've got two more coming in midweek, uh, joined by the other three, so at one point we'll have five of the nine down with it. So make it a double, all right? Understood. Tell Kathy hello. I'll talk to you next week. Take care, brother. You travel safe when you're traveling. Keith Jones via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. We'll get back to college baseball in a moment. I will remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, uh, as you heard at the top of this segment, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. Longtime major leaguer and former LSU star baseball broadcaster Todd Walker, who will call the action this weekend from Mike Martinfield and Dick Hauser Stadium, joins us next as we preview the FSU Regional when we roll on on the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, back on the front row. As you heard, I uh, I dismiss, I gave Keith the rest of the show off since he's still down at the beach enjoying a, a holiday week with the family here. But uh, we're going to bounce back to baseball and really pleased to uh, welcome to the program longtime major leaguer, uh, a college baseball star during his playing days at LSU, and uh, the gentleman who will provide the color commentary for this weekend's uh, baseball regional action in Tallahassee, Todd Walker. Todd, how are you? Tom, great. What's going on? Well, what's going on in Tallahassee is that Florida State folks are shocked that FSU is hosting a regional based on the way this season unfolded. But, you know, you've been around this sport a lot of years, and baseball is one of those games. If you get things clicking, uh, you you can sort of forgive the first half of the season. In FSU's case, they're playing good baseball right now. That's correct. Six in a row, ran through the ACC tournament. Not only that, beat number two, South Carolina, I mean, North Carolina, and number four, Louisville. I mean, those two wins in one week, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's been much needed for for Florida State. What was your initial reaction? And I know as we talk, uh, you still got to sink deeper, I'm sure, into uh, all the team's media guides and notes, and you'll meet the coaches and talk with them and whatnot. But your initial thoughts when you saw the field that'll be playing this weekend in Tallahassee? Yeah, it's real interesting. I think Auburn has a little better defense than the other three, uh, just based on numbers alone. I think defense transfers. So whether you're in the Ohio Valley Conference, like, Tennessee Tech, or you're in the ACC, like Florida State, I think defense transfers. So I think everybody's pretty pretty solid, which is, you know, an error a game average. You know, Auburn's a little less than that. But what's interesting is going to be the pitching. So uh, Ohio Valley Conference, Tennessee Tech, for instance, their team ERA is over five. So 
So I don't know if that translates well when you start facing Florida State hitters and Auburn hitters. We're about to find out. But they also hit 320 as a team. But the coach will tell you that, um, you know, the OVC is a, a hitter's league, and so those numbers are elevated. But, again, we're about to find out. Auburn's played pretty consistent all year long until the end of the year here where they've lost 10 of their last 13. So it'll be interesting to see how second-year coach Coach Thompson uh, responds, you know, and maybe get a little mini break from the SEC tournament. They won their first game against Ole Miss and lost the next two. But uh, they're, they're Auburn's solid. Um, they've got two arms that I'm sure you've heard of, and Casey Myers and Keegan Thompson. They can pitch with anybody in the country. And Cole Lips come out of the pen as their closer. He's pretty dirty. Um, other than that, they're probably a little thin. Uh, and Central Florida, well, the thing to watch with them is, is when they get on base, they are going to run. They stole 100 and some odd bases this year. The next closest to them was 80 in the American Athletic Conference. So Central Florida is going to try to turn every game into a track meet. So it's going to be fun. A lot of different personalities as a team, you know, and, and uh, you know, I would, I would just by guessing think Florida State has the edge. But uh, we'll see. You know, the different personalities, that's something that's unique to college athletics. You think about it in football with different offenses compared to the pro game where you don't see as many differences. Uh, I'm curious for you having come full circle at this point because you started LSU, so you you, you certainly enjoyed the college game then. You helped lead LSU to a national title, played a lot of years in the bigs, and now you're back broadcasting the college game. What's your thoughts on the product that you see in terms of college baseball these days? I think it's pretty comparable. I think that there's still more bunting that goes on in college than there would be in the pros, but uh, but that's okay. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of bunting in the second and third inning, but, you know, that's how the game, game is now. Although they're starting to release a little bit of that because now, as you've seen, there's more home runs this year than ever since the baby core era. Um, they're setting records for home runs this year, and but also strikeouts. So uh, I think they're seeing the game become more more common to what we're used to. Um, that doesn't mean in these high-pressure, big-time games that you're not going to see guys try to bunt, sacrifice the first run over because I think getting the lead is a huge deal in these regionals. And so uh, I think you'll see a lot of that early um, outside of Florida State. I think Florida State plays on the three-run owner, and I think they're going to, uh, you know, uh, they're going to swing the bats. But uh, but Central Florida can pitch. I mean, they've got they've, they've got some guy arms on that staff, uh, so that's their other identity other than stealing bases. So. Again, you know, I think getting the lead is important, and I think that's what we're going to see early in this tournament. Talking with uh, former major leaguer and uh, SEC Network ESPN uh, broadcaster Todd Walker. Going back to, to the game as a whole, and I ask this in the context that, that, that college baseball is becoming more popular, there's more visibility. Obviously, you're broadcasting SEC Network games, uh, and, and the ACC Network is coming. There's only going to be more and more college baseball out there. One of my pet peeves is that the game's – it just seems like they're getting too long. Uh, and, and I know at the major league level, there's been a pace of play conversation. In, in your estimation, do there need to be some changes or could there be some change at the college level or do you not see it as an issue? Well, uh, interesting you asked that question because day one of the SEC tournament, we ended up only getting three games in, but there were four games scheduled and try to sit through four college baseball games in one day. Yeah, I love baseball, but it, it's a long day. So I would agree with you. As you know, in the SEC, they've set the clock out there for 20 seconds on the pitcher. You know, every when he receives the ball, he's got 20 seconds to deliver the next one. I think that's helped a little bit. What they tried to do in the big league is expand the zone, but that didn't work for very long. 
I know they've tried to do certain things to try to speed the game up, not letting the hitter get out of the box, you know, stay in the box when you're in there. Uh, the home plate umpire dictates a lot of that. You know, and I think the main thing would be toward the seventh, eighth inning and ninth inning when you see a lot of pitching coaches and coaches go out to the mound and have these long conversations and maybe not even switch the pitcher out. Or they switch the pitcher five or six times. I saw that in the SEC tournament this year with, I mean, last week, where they, 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 uh, Arkansas used four guys in one inning. Uh, Mississippi State used five in one inning. So when you start making that many moves, the game's going to be long. And I think that's, that where, that's where I would focus. Yeah, I just think it's something that needs to be talked about at the national level if they want to continue to grow this game. Obviously, it's, uh, it's been popular among, uh, a good faction of fans, uh, and and now as it's more visible, I think there's more fans that are latching on to it. But I think there's there's some room for improvement. One of the other things uh, that the, that the committee does when it gets to be this time of year is they only seed teams one through eight, and they talk about the dollars they're saving, and they kind of set up the regionals uh, in terms of geographical proximity. But I I think we're getting to the point where you need to at least seed one to sixteen, or maybe seed the whole field, so that you get a little more balance in the regionals, the way the teams are dispersed. What's your thoughts on that? No question, and there's no better example of that is Kentucky having to go to Louisville if they both win. Kentucky being the first team out of the national seed, which means they're number nine, and then you got Louisville uh, as number seven. So uh, there's no question that's that's something that needs to be addressed as well. Um, Obviously, one through sixteen seeds are not going to make it to the next, you know, to the supers. But in that case, you got a seven playing a nine. It typically, if one through sixteen made it, you'd have an eight playing a nine. So it's that not that far off. But I definitely think that uh, you know you need to seed them that way. It's more fair. And and I think the reason they don't is obviously proximity and money and travel. But I don't think anybody has a big issue with that. The schools got enough money; they can travel. Yeah, that's kind of my opinion. And, and for Florida State, you know, FSU drew Florida in the Supers the last two years, uh, which felt like a death sentence for FSU folks. You win your regional and you got to go face Florida, who's been so good the last last several years. This year, I, I don't know that it's a break, but, but FSU's just happy that they're paired up with a different regional should they advance. Texas Tech is pretty good. And that's though. a great point. And, hey, hey, and look, and that's a great point. I mean, look at A&M and TCU over the last two years. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, same thing. You know, A&M was number one in the country for most of the year and after face TCU, a good TCU team, and they get beat. And they got beat two years in a row by the same group. So the rule is three. You can't do it three times in a row. But um didn't look like they're going to be messed up this year anyway. But I agree completely with that point. Oh, I didn't realize. So there's an actual rule on the book that you can't do it more than three years in a row? Correct. In fact, I think it's you can't do it the third year in a row. So you can do it two years in a row, not the third. Well, that would explain why FSU. So TCU and – yeah. Yeah, TCU and A&M were, were in the same boat they were in last year. They would not play each other in the Supers, nor would, I guess, if you're saying Florida State faced Florida the last two years. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so they wouldn't they wouldn't even legally be allowed to do that again this year. Okay, I didn't I didn't realize it. Then we wouldn't have had to sweat it. We would have known all along they were getting paired up somewhere different. <laughs> hey, let, me, let me ask That's you, right. some, folks, we're talking with Todd Walker, and, and uh, you obviously, as, as I mentioned, you had a great – collegiate experience i know your your number got uh retired at lsu earlier this year matter of fact when i was looking this up before we talked i was actually at the uh, lsu ole miss game the next day so I, I missed your jersey retirement by by a day i know you're you're upset about that but the bigger question here is uh the draft is coming up next week and so you had an experience of enjoying college being successful at the major league level is that the best recipe, or does it really just depend on the kid? Uh, you know, as, as they're coming out of high school these days. 
you talk about in terms of going through college or when they do it. When they do it, you know, for, for because the dollars are so high. So, for example, Drew Mendoza for FSU. Now, his his parents met at FSU. He's always wanted to play at Florida State, but he turned down first round money, and now he's locked into FSU for three years. And that may prove to be completely fine. Maybe he'll never get back to the dollars he would have gotten had he turned pro right out of high school. But but the trade off is he's getting a college experience that he wouldn't have had if he went into the minors. So, I'm just curious your perspective on that, having done the college route. No question. And I tell these young kids all the time, number one, I'm a huge proponent of going to college as opposed to signing pro. For example, even if you get now, look, if nowadays you get $5 million to come out of high school, I think you got to go. But typically, even if you're lucky enough to be drafted and make a certain amount, even if it's a million, that million whittles into 500 grand real quick. And then even shorter and shorter as you start spending money. And then you go to low A ball somewhere in the middle of nowhere where you don't know anybody and you're away from your parents at 17, 18 years old. And it is a total lifestyle change that I don't think many kids are prepared for. However, when you go to college, like you just mentioned in that story, where you go where you want to go to school and you get the education, and oh, by the way, you're playing high-level baseball, as is you know Florida State, LSU, Auburn, SEC, ACC, all these schools, I think it's comparable to a good double-A program. You go three years, maybe four. Now you come out and you get to go play pro ball. Now all of a sudden you've skipped those low A's and those instructional leagues and all this stuff that's just miserable in my mind. That's my own humble opinion. Um, and I was very fortunate and lucky to go to LSU, play three years, come out of there, play a month of uh, Florida State League down in Fort Myers, um, and the very next year I'm in double A. So I skipped a lot of the low-level stuff. And, uh, and that experience, like you just mentioned, of going to college, you can't get that back. That experience of going to college is unlike anything you'll do in your lifetime, and I just think it's too good to pass up. I'll let you go on this, and uh, folks, I'll remind you, Todd uh, Walker will be calling the action uh, this weekend with Jason Benetti for uh, the FSU Regional. I I had forgotten about this because time flies, but I, I take you back to June of 94. LSU was the defending champs, and you show up in Omaha, and Paul Wilson is dealing for Florida State that day. Do you do you have any recollection of that yep. night uh, in particular? Because as it turned out, it might oh. right in that same time frame, he went first in that draft, and you went eighth overall. Oh, sure. Yeah, Paul Wilson was a friend of mine. We played Olympic team together in 1993, and yeah, I, I remember it well. In fact, I remember thinking, what a what a great matchup we had. We had to face the number one pick in the draft on opening night in Omaha, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, they beat us 5-1. to one. Uh, But that one was me taking him deep in right center. So uh, it was a good night for me, bad night for our team. We got beat two straight. Turned around and played Cal State Fullerton, and they just blew the brakes off of us the next day. So wasn't a good experience in 1994, but 1993 made up for all of it when we won the whole thing. Yeah, and that was number two, uh, I think, for LSU at the time. And uh, obviously, Florida State's still looking for that first one. And, uh, you know, you, you played for Skip Bertman, and, and Mike Martin is in, in year number 38. He's been to Omaha 15 times. He's basically one season away from passing Augie Garrido to be the winningest coach in college baseball history. And yet there's always that asterisk that's there because he hasn't won the national title. And, um, you know, Florida State fans are obviously hoping he gets it done in the next year or two. But it, it, it to me, it's a shame that that sort of clouds what his reputation or, or his legacy will be. Well, no question. I, I think the world of Mike Martin, Mike Martin Jr., was on that same Olympic team I just told you that Paul Wilson and I played on. So I, I, I'm looking forward to catching up with him this weekend. I'm, I can't believe he's been there 19 years as uh, as junior. So, um, so you know, look. When you get to Omaha, I'll be the first to tell you uh, there's a lot of luck involved. I mean, you got to have things go your way. And in fact, 
we just talked to Mike Martin today over the phone, and when we were talking about the ACC tournament and them going through, he had a great response to it. He said, you know, you know how this game works. Sometimes you hit it at them. Sometimes it falls in the gap. Sometimes you throw it to first and it bounces and your first baseman picks you. Another time he can't make the play. He said this, this, this last week, he said everything just kind of went our way. And so when I say luck, that's what I'm talking about. And you just have to have some good fortune. And I remember when we won it in 1993 in Omaha, we had to come back from a 5-3 deficit the ninth um, on just basically a few balls falling our way. So I don't think if you can, you can discredit Mike Martin for, for not winning in Omaha after 15 years. Obviously, they got another shot this year. But what a great coach he is and just the stability to be able to stay that long like he's been 38 years and do what he's been doing. It's not easy. As you saw at Alabama, Greg Goff gets fired after his first year. So it's not easy to coach in the ACC or the SEC at big-time college baseball. And Mike Martin's been able to do it for a long, long time. Todd, we appreciate your insight and your time. Uh, and, and have a great call this weekend. Enjoy your, uh, your trip to Tallahassee. Thank you. I'm looking forward to being down there. I'll be down there Thursday. All right, sounds good. That is uh, Todd Walker, former LSU star, ESPN and SEC Network broadcaster, obviously a a 12-year Major League vet, uh, kind enough to give us a few minutes in advance of that regional. We'll come back and wrap up the front row right after this. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, just enough time to say goodbye. Keith will be back in studio next week. Folks, enjoy the baseball regional this weekend. Hopefully, we'll be previewing a super regional when we uh, join you again next Wednesday at 6. Till then, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next week. Come to decide that the things that I tried were in my life just to get high on. When I sit alone, come get a little known, but I need more than myself this time. Step from the road to the sea to the sky, and I do believe.